You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So you're definitely going to need your Bible for this message and something to write with. We're going to take apart five verses in Romans chapter 12 so we can see what they are made of. And then we're going to put them back together so they can show us what we are made of. Before we do that, I just feel like I need to pray because this message, this message will mess with your head. And um, I feel inadequate to share this message with you. I just know I'm one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And so let's just pray together as we come into this message. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, that, that is really my heart. I, I just pray, Lord, that you would just, I know the ground is level beneath the cross. And I know that we are all in need of your grace and mercy when it comes to treating each other with kindness and goodness and self-control and love and, and all the things that characterize the kingdom. And I know how far I am from that vision. So I just would ask God, first of all, that you give me the grace to repent of all the ways I fall short. And that you would, Lord, just draw all of us together around what you see that we can be. Give us grace, God, to see what you see in us so we can be the body of Christ on earth. So give us eyes to see you, Lord. As we open the word together, give us ears to hear you as the word is proclaimed and give us a heart to receive everything, everything you have for us. Jesus, if you would do that, we would be so grateful. We love, honor, and worship you. All God's people said, amen. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 17. Those who have been on retreat this whole weekend started actually at the beginning of verse 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, and they have worked all the way through. So at some point, you might want to go back and read the whole chapter. But for now, we're just going to all kind of circle around the last five verses of Romans chapter 12. Get your Bible out, something to write on. You might even want to circle any words that stand out for you as I read all of these five verses. And then we're going to pull them apart after I've read, read through them. So Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I want you to circle anyone. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Circle that. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the third time. Circle it. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. You see how he, what he's doing here in, in verse 21? He's kind of circling back around and, and, and putting the parentheses on the other side, the, the the opening part was verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And now in 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So these are our marching orders, right? The, the last advice coming from Romans 12, a chapter that is all about how to be the body of Christ. And it all seems like straightforward advice and just exactly what you'd expect the Bible to teach us. In fact, this is 
this is the kind of passage we could easily skim over, right? Thinking, yeah, yeah, I got this. Be kind. Don't judge. You can't say anything nice, et cetera, et cetera. I got it, okay? I got it. But I don't want you to skim these verses because there is a lot more meat in here than meets the eye. This passage is teaching us how to live in sweet community. And it is challenging us to trust God and to love people, maybe even particularly the ones that are hard to love, radically. If we take these five verses seriously, we will not only be personally transformed, but we can transform the way people understand what it means to be the church. So I want to take these verses phrase by phrase so we can see what they're made of. So again, if you don't have your Bible out already, get it out. Turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start with verse 17. So Paul, that's the writer of Romans, says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, which is quite a suggestion, isn't it, from the guy who once went town to town persecuting Christians. In some ways, this is his confession. Don't do what I've done. Learn from my mistake. Because Paul gets it better than most that people do evil things, and we have permission to acknowledge that, to say that something someone has done is evil. Paul has been that guy. And from a first-person perspective, he can say, even when evil is obvious, don't hit back. Then he tells us, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, which is to say, do the right thing because the world is watching. This isn't groupthink he's giving us. It isn't asking us to take a poll and go with the highest vote when he says, because the world is watching. I think he's saying two things here. Actually, first, don't form your opinions in a vacuum. Don't react in the moment from from. Form your response in community where more reasonable minds can help you hear from the Spirit. And second, I hear that word, everyone. Paul uses that concept, anyone and everyone. We counted when we read it three times in two verses. And those everyones and anyones figure into this equation. I can't just do, listen to me, I can't just do what is right according to people who think like me. My actions also have to be defensible for those who don't think like me. That's a high standard. So maybe that's why Paul begins verse 18 this way. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I said, well, shoot for that. You won't always make it, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't even attempt. I can't make peace happen, but I can make sure I'm trying to make peace happen. I can make sure I do my part. And then he goes on, verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends. I love that he, you know, he stops right there and he's trying to soften the blow a little bit. Don't, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. That line comes directly from Leviticus 19, 18. Yeah, Leviticus, yes, where God is giving a list of ways to the Israelites to be holy because he is. And in that list, back in Leviticus, he he specifically instructs us not to seek revenge or bear a grudge, but this is Leviticus I'm talking about, to love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar? And and when a Jewish man who knows the scriptures inside and out quotes the first half of a verse like that from the Old Testament, 
He knows. He's not telling his audience that if they can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. He's actually calling them toward love. Don't take revenge. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then, Paul tells us, leave room for God's wrath. And when I read this, the first thing I think about is Jonah. You know, Jonah running away from God's call to Nineveh and a people he couldn't stand. He didn't want to leave room for God's wrath because he was afraid God would not smoke the people he didn't like. (laughs) So leaving room for God's wrath, that's a call to trust God more than your own feelings about somebody. I have a lot more to say about that, but I'm going to save it because we'll come back to it. So verse 19. For it is written, Paul goes on, it's mine to revenge, I will repay, which is another Old Testament reference from Deuteronomy chapter 32. In this passage, Deuteronomy, the the one in Deuteronomy, God is talking about an Israel that has lost sight of God and is blindly following other gods. And to them, God says, it's mine to revenge, I will repay. In due time, this is Deuteronomy, in due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near. In other words, God says, sometimes the best strategy is to wait. Just wait, make space for God to move, trusting that God can do far more even in the toughest of situations than we can ask or imagine. I think it's also, you know what I hear in that is, is honor the process. Just because a person isn't where you want them to be right now, if you give, if you leave room for God, maybe just maybe they'll get there. What do we do while we wait? So verse 20 tells us, do this instead. Show some hospitality. You know what? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do the thing Jesus would do. (laughs) Do Jesus, who is willing to watch and wait for people to come to the end of themselves. Jesus, who is willing to watch and wait for you. You know the, the, the tiresome phrase, it's cliche, and it's kind of a thing people have said a lot lately, you do you, you know that phrase, you do you. Paul is teaching us the opposite of that in Romans 12. He's telling us, listen, friends, don't do you. Do Jesus. And definitely don't do the people that you are bothered by, the ones who threaten to bring out the worst in you. You do Jesus. Have some patience and wait out the foolishness. Leave room for God who is always chasing after people with redemptive motives. And in doing this, he says, you'll keep uh, heaping burning coals on their heads. But this is not our motive. You need to be careful about that. You know, when he says you will heap burning coals on their heads, it's not your motive. Kindness isn't just another way of getting back at someone. To be, kind to, some, so, to be kind so someone else will feel bad, that's passive aggression. When Paul says, in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head, this is not a statement of motive. It's a statement of fact. This is what naturally happens when one person sees their unkind actions in light of someone else's goodness. In verse 21, Paul wraps up this section the way he began. Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good. Which is to say that when we repay evil for evil, we are the ones who risk getting swallowed up by it. We are the ones who will be defeated by it. So if you want a little less evil in the world, it begins with you. In other words, don't do you, do Jesus. 
And, and that's this passage all teased apart so we can look at every single little piece of it and get all the good out of what Paul is saying. And now I want to put it all back together again so this passage can show us what the body of Christ is made of when the body of Christ is enjoying sweet communion. So Paul gives us four imperatives in this passage, four things people who follow Jesus need to internalize. Number one, don't hit back. I take that line from the message version of this passage. In that version, verse 17 begins with this, don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone, which is just beautiful, isn't it? Don't look back, don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone, which is not at all the same as saying, who am I to judge? Not at all. I mean, of course, we have a right to judge. If I see an alcoholic friend ordering a drink in a bar, I'm going to judge that action as dangerous for them, and I'll call them out on it. If I see someone haul off and hit somebody else in anger, I get to judge that moment. Judging right from wrong is not a wrong thing to do, but it's not even the point here. It's what we do with these moments that matter. That's, that's the point that Paul is trying to make. So I'm thinking about our dog from when we were first married, Opie, and it's been a long time since I've told an Opie story, so I'm going to tell one here. Opie, he was a little fluffy white mess of a dog, and he, he had a lot of phobias, but he had a really big vet phobia. Consequently, when it dawned on him that this awesome trip in the car was actually a catastrophic trip to the vet, <laughs> his world just collapsed. He always made it worse that had to be, he'd, he'd have panic attacks, he'd become hostile. Frankly, he made the experience a little embarrassing for the rest of us. So one time the vet told me that my dog's dramatics were likely for my own benefit, just to get my sympathy and convince me to, you know, flee the wrath to come. Oh my gosh, a vet is a horrible thing. And so she, she suggested that maybe the next time I bring him in, I just hand him off to them and sit in the waiting room and let them do their examination. And so that's what I did. I, as soon as I walked in the door, handed Opie to them, and, and they took him back to some room where he would be examined alone without his mama. And here's what happened. <laughs> I sat in the waiting room with half a dozen strangers and their pets, listening to the closest thing I have ever heard to a scream coming from an animal. Over and over, screaming. It sounded like something out of an African jungle or a horror movie. And because I knew that voice, had heard it on the way to lots of things that Opie was averse to. I knew he wasn't being tortured, but I knew the others in the room probably didn't know that. And so I just sat in that waiting room, thumbing through magazines, pretending I had no clue whose poor animal it was, until the vet came out and said, Mrs. Moore, here's the thing. <laughs> We haven't actually been able to touch your dog yet. <laughs> All that screaming. And he hadn't even been examined. Bless him. My friends, can I say this to you with all gentleness and respect? Some of us have an inner opie that is so sensitive, so overcome by the spirit of fear, that offense is the only operating principle inside of us. We feel attacked 10 minutes before anything actually happens. We feel attacked when we're not even being attacked. And out of that spirit of offense, we strike back. And this is exactly what Paul means when he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't let yourself be overcome by evil. 
but overcome evil with good. Inasmuch as it's up to you, live at peace. The clear slant of Scripture is always toward grace, always toward mercy. And, and, and who can do that outside the influence of the Holy Spirit? In His presence and only in His presence, we are invited to call out the spirit of offense, make it so it's, it no longer has power to speak its lie and spread its anxiety in our life. In prayer, it's just that straightforward. I mean, if you want to get rid of the spirit of offense, this is how you pray. Lord Jesus, please, Call out the spirit of offense that is wreaking havoc on my soul. Remove it from my life. Take away all its power. Deal with me on this issue and, and help me place this moment into a kingdom frame so that in my heart and behavior, I'm not jerked around by the enemy of my soul who is whispering in my ear what he would rather I believe. Jesus, just cure me of the spirit of offense. Amen. It's just that easy. Don't give the enemy the pleasure of your offense. Don't hit back, not even inside. The second principle that I learned from Romans 12, these last five verses, is this. Leave room for God. To get this point, we have to understand what biblical wrath actually means. He talks about it in these verses, of course, as an idea Wrath carries a lot of baggage, but keep in mind that while the culture may have pitched God as an angry old man, the scriptures do not. Even wrath ends up being good news, biblically speaking, when it's seen in the context of a good and loving God. So the Greek word for wrath is orge, O-R-G-E. The literal meaning is to team or swell. So biblical wrath is not a sudden outburst, but a a controlled, passionate feeling against sin. This, this term expresses the way God feels about sin, not about you, but about sin. Our Father, who is good, who loves us, who can be trusted, does not explode in anger at us, but has this constant and abiding opposition to sin, a, a constant opposition, a consistent opposition to sin and he places a constant pressure on us to walk away from things that bring death God who hates sin is constantly inviting us out of sin and into life and so that you get that the emphasis is not sin but life I want you to write this down in the margin of Romans 12 Jesus mission is not to condemn me but to save me this is why the wrath of God is actually such good news. In the battle over our souls, God has a righteous commitment to the habits and behaviors that breed life. His commitment is so strong, in fact, that if you are out there, you know, lost and, and wounded and, and captured and bleeding behind enemy lines, God, our Father, will do everything he can to bring you home. And Jesus who comes to judge the quick and the dead, will never stop live, lo uh, looking, never lose energy, never lose hope for the one who is still out there. Why? Because Jesus' passion is for life. And if our Father has made that kind of commitment over our life, then it becomes our task, our responsibility, our joy 
to keep hope alive for the ones who are still out there. It becomes our privilege to work to bring them home. And this is exactly what Paul's telling us when he tells us to leave room for God. It, it means that we're called to place the mission first. Look, don't, don't close the door on anybody. Have them out for a meal. Offer them something to drink. Leave a little room for God. No matter how far gone someone may seem, we will never accept defeat. We will never quit. We will never leave behind someone for whom Christ died. Every time somebody comes back across enemy lines and home to the Father, God is glorified. So leave room for God's wrath because wrath is part of God's glory. Why is wrath part of God's glory? Because people are the prize. This is the third principle I get from Romans 12. People are the prize. Do you remember that in two verses, verse 17 and 18? Three sentences. We're, we, we encountered the terms anyone and everyone three times. When you see repetition like that in a scripture passage, you need to pay attention. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, Paul writes. Or be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what is Paul emphasizing here? First, that there are no exceptions to this call to grace. No caveats. That applies to everyone, both on the giving and the receiving end of grace, which means that everyone is a means of grace for me. The hard ones and the kind ones. And, and you know what? Maybe especially the hard ones. Which is to say that people are not the problem. People are the prize. Everyone is a means of grace. I want you to say that with me. Everyone is a means of grace. So when we're faced with hard people, the question we have to ask ourselves is this, do I see this person as a problem or do I see this person as a prize? So I found this picture, I hope you're looking at it right now, of a conflict iceberg. I found it in a report that a, another church generated, and I was just really moved by their use of it. And I want to read a little of what they wrote. A conflict iceberg demonstrates that what one sees above the surface is interpreted through one's issues, personalities, emotions, interests, needs, desires, self-perception, self-esteem, hidden expectations, and unresolved issues from the past. There are literally Hundreds of millions of variations of underlying agents driving our lives and behaviors. These underlying agents, along with the life experiences each of us has, help to form the stories of our life and the truths that uniquely resonate within us. Therefore, though many may try, it is impossible to know the motive of another. Just as it is likely that most of us don't know what, is be what beneath the surface issues are motivating us. And isn't that true? I don't know all the reasons people do what they do when they strike out at me or show their unhealthy side. I don't even know what all the motives are that cause me to do the things I do. Yeah, I don't know what funeral somebody has just come from or, or what they're planning. I, I don't know what financial puzzle they're trying to work through. I don't know what complicated things are happening in their home. I don't know why someone misses seeing me when they cut me off in, in traffic. What I do know is that when I'm the one doing that, it's usually because I have too many other things on my mind, and what I need most 
is grace. I need patience. As Christians, we don't have permission to write people off. So when Paul says anyone and everyone, what he means is that people are not the problem. People are the prize, which means that when we're dealing with people, don't do you, do Jesus. That's the fourth point. You know, there's actually a website called Achieving Success by Criticizing Others. I think for many of us, that's a normal mode of operation. We feel better about ourselves when we spend our energy finding out what's wrong about somebody else, you know? And, and here's the thing. We all have it. We all have that inner critic, that running commentary that constantly takes stock of everything and everyone around us, you know, wrong shoes for that person, that uh, bad hair day over there, nice face over there. It's, it's a sign that our brains are alive and working. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a downside to that inner voice. That the same critical thinking skills that help us to analyze and problem solve are the same skills, the very skills that can take another life and tear it apart. So what ought to be a gift, our working brains, can become a curse. Does that make sense? And Jesus says if you're using that gift to tear others down just so you can feel better about yourself or worse, to avoid your own healing, that's the cheap way out. The higher road, Jesus says, when I see something lacking in someone else, is to look immediately within to see how much more that thing is lacking in me. That's Jesus' lesson. And then having acknowledged my sin and repented of my weakness, I can say to you with humility, I know the Lord can help you with your need because the Lord helped me and you only have a speck in your eye. I had a log sticking out of mine. <laughs> When I claim Jesus over all that is broken in me, then I can submit myself to the leading of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who has called me. Listen, friends, Jesus has called us into the ministry of reconciliation. He takes it all the way to the altar. He says, listen, if you've got... If you've got somebody you're irritated with and you're at the altar and you're ready to make your gift, if you're ready to spend time with the Lord and you've got something against somebody, you need to set aside the thing that you thought you had for, for, for me. This is God talking. And you need to go find that person and you need to reconcile with them and then come and we can have sweet communion together, you and me. Jesus tells us, don't hit back. Leave room for God because people are not the problem. People are the prize. And don't do you because you will get you in trouble every time. I need an amen. Do like Jesus. And that, friends, is the invitation today. It's an invitation to do like Jesus. Give God a little room to soften your heart toward people. Ask him to give you a big heart, in fact, toward people. Because in the kingdom of God, people are the prize. And it brings me back to our 21 days of prayer. I mean, this is all about, these 21 days are all about praying for God to give us a big heart. And it begins that first week with just asking God to give you a big heart for prayer itself. And we can get started right now. If you'll bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray for God to give us 
a heart for prayer, so that we can then have a heart for intercession, so that we can then see God's heart expanded and our hearts expanded for the people in our lives who desperately, desperately need sweet communion. Will you pray with me? Lord God, that's my prayer, that you will give us a, a big heart for communion with you. I want to be in your presence, Lord. I want to be in your presence, and I want, to, uh, I want to feel your heart and know the things that matter to you. I want, Lord, to learn from you directly through your Holy Spirit how to do Jesus and not me, how to show grace, how to have mercy, how to leave room for you, how not to hit back, even inside. I'm asking God for you to heal me of my spirit of offense. And I'm asking you to help my friends, those who are praying together with me right now, to, to, um, to really be able to confess and explore um, the ways in which maybe our, our hearts for others have atrophied in this distancing time. Lord, we're just asking you to pull all that back together, bind up the broken pieces, heal what needs to be healed, give us courage to step across the aisle and bless someone. God, help us, to, help us to love each other the way you love us. And if you do that, Jesus, we would be so grateful. We love, honor, and worship you, Jesus. We ask for your heart for those who break yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.